0: Support for this podcast comes from the law firm Fenwick, helping technology and life sciences companies thrive at every stage of growth. Online at Fenwick.com.
3: From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Kayleen Carter. I'm Marisa Martinez.
4: And I'm Janelle
3: Salunga.
2: And I'm Saul Gonzalez. Today, student journalists are taking over the California Report to kick off a special collaboration we've been working on with Cal Matters, College Journalism Network. Throughout the week, we'll be bringing you a student-centered look at how Proposition 16 could reshape higher ed campuses across California. Prop 16 is the statewide ballot measure that would restore affirmative action in public institutions and government contracts. Today, we'll learn more about how Prop 16 came to be and now we'll hand the show over to kayleen marisa and janelle
5: i rise today to present to you aca5 the california act for economic prosperity and opportunity for all this
3: i'm kayleen carter and i'm a junior at sacramento state State university and the speaker you're hearing now is dr shirley weber state assembly member from san diego introducing aca5 that's the bill that we become prop 16. after 25 years of quantitative and qualitative data We can see
5: that race-neutral solutions cannot fix problems steeped in race.
3: Our home state is a place that gets a lot of attention for setting precedents with progressive legislation. But California was also the first state to implement a formal ban on affirmative action with Prop 209.
5: So when we look back at 1996, when Prop 209 was passed, it was a very different California.
3: That's Maureen Simmons. She's a recent UC Berkeley graduate and co-chair of the Students for Proposition 16 campaign. She's right when she says it was a different California then. For one, there had been a Republican in the governor's office since 1983. And the governor at the time, Pete Wilson, had been a vocal opponent of affirmative action. In the mid-90s, even before Prop 209 passed, the UC Board of Regents decided to end the use of affirmative action. It's worth noting that majority of the board is appointed by the governor and...
4: By the mid-1990s, most of the board tended to reflect the political party and views of, of the past two governors at that time.
3: Bill Ketter is an attorney who studies higher education equity and volunteers with the UCLA Civil Rights Project. He graduated law school the same year 2009 passed.
4: At that time, the percentage of African-Americans and uh, Latinx students on the Berkeley campus when I was a student was vastly larger than the numbers and percentages only two or three years later.
3: In fact, earlier this year, the UC Office of the President shared a new study out of Berkeley. It said Prop 209 triggered a 12 percent enrollment decline in students from underrepresented groups across the whole University of California system. Hi, I'm Marisa Martinez. I live in Rancho Cucamonga and I'm a senior at Cal State LA. Here's the way people who support Prop 29 think about affirmative action. Discrimination is
6: discrimination, no matter what you call it. We should do everything we can to continue to fight against discrimination and unequal opportunity, except that which is to use somebody else's race against them.
3: Former Congressman Tom Campbell is a law professor and was the dean of Berkeley's Haas School of Business, where he says he found other ways to broaden the applicant
6: pool. I emphasized the experience that each student individually had. And it worked, he says. We recruited a minority race at a rate that was better than all other business schools except five, according to the Wall Street Journal. And we did all of that without using race.
3: The impacts of Prop 209 have also hit the California State University system. And the CSU's incoming chancellor, Joseph Castro, is pro Prop 16. Dr. Castro, who currently serves as the president of Fresno State, already has specific ideas about areas where Prop 16 could make a difference, like on the wait list at Fresno State's competitive nursing program.
2: I had a case recently with an African American woman who wanted to be a nurse, it's her life dream. And I can't admit her over other students who might have comparable, maybe just a little bit different GPA, but not nearly the struggle she's had. And I'd love to have that tool to be able to look at those kinds of examples and to make some adjustments.
4: Hi, I'm Janelle Salunga. I'm from the Central Valley and I'm a senior at UC Davis. Maureen Simmons, who we heard from earlier, has been a part of Prop 16 since the beginning. Simmons decided to move to California in her late 40s to complete her college degree. She ended up at Cal where the gaps and opportunities for students of color, and especially for first-generation students, were very clear.
5: People who are not in a position to not have anyone in your family ever have formal education, can't begin to understand when you go into a university like UC Berkeley and you don't understand all of the resources that are available.
4: She brought her concerns to assembly member Weber, who she was working for in 2019.
5: Even Dr. Weber said, you know, Prop 209, that's the reason. <laughs> and it was the end of the conversation, but that wasn't good enough for me.
4: So Simmons and other like-minded student advocates, many of them students of color, got organized.
5: And I saw this thing go from emails to coalitions, and it just swelled. And then um, earlier this year, when we got ACA 5, by then we had coalitions spread across the state.
4: Weber introduced the bill this past June. Five days later, the UC Board of Regents unanimously endorsed it. But as we close in on Election Day, Researchers at the Public Policy Institute of California say there seems to be a disconnect between how voters feel about Prop 16 and how they say they feel about racial injustice. Even though a substantial majority of Californians polled in the last few months said racial inequality is a major issue, just in the last two weeks, a majority of Californians also said they still don't support Prop 16.
2: Our thanks to student reporters Kayleen Carter, Marisa Martinez, and Janelle Salonga. Now, let's turn to voters in Los Angeles County.
7: Hi, it's Terry
3: Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody
7: Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
2: LA County is an election colossus with more than five and a half million registered voters. That's more than a lot of states. And over the weekend, those voters could start casting their ballots in person as the county opened up over 100 vote centers. Hundreds more centers will open up on October 30th. Dean Logan is LA County's top election official, and at a voting kickoff event, he spoke about the continuing importance of in-person voting, even during the pandemic. In person voting is still a viable and important option for voters in Los Angeles County, and we are working hard to make sure that that's safe and accessible. So we will be operating with all of the guidelines of of our public health officials for sanitation, personal protective equipment. We want voters to know it is safe to come and vote. You do not need to make a choice between your health and safety and participating uh, in the election. L.A. County Registrar of Voters, Dean Logan. Now, to help with social distancing, many of L.A.'s in-person vote centers have been placed at really big venues, like sports stadiums, theaters, and local landmarks, like Union Station in downtown L.A.'s Grand Central Market. It was there that I met Cliff Moore, one of the first people in line on the first day of voting. You're one of the first in line? Why is it important for you to be here physically to vote?
6: Because I just think that the climate uh, in our country today just needs a change. We need civil discourse, empathy, and caring for everyone.
2: Well, amen to all of that. But, but you could have voted, you know, via Dropbox or mailed in your ballot. Why come down here to the central market and vote?
6: Because I just don't have faith that, that, uh, that my vote will make it to where it needs to go. I think there'll be some kind of issue if they can find one, you know, I didn't color it in enough or something. So this way, I know it's going to go to where I need to go and I'll have voting.
2: And just finally, I mean, how are you feeling right now about this election in the country? Are you are you nervous? Are you hopeful? Or- I'm nervous.
6: I'm nervous because the country is so divided that it just, even whoever wins, what, what's the other side going to do? How are they going to feel? It's shameful, the way our country has devolved we're we're americans period whatever your political party and blue red we're americans at the end of the day and we're going to either stand together or we're going to die apart that's it
2: that's voter Cliff Moore in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, in San Diego County, in-person voting begins on October 31st at 235 so-called super poll locations. One possible problem election officials are thinking about there are the presence of overly aggressive poll watchers who might try to intimidate voters. I spoke about that with Michael Vu, San Diego County's registrar of voters.
6: You know, in an
2: observer, a poll watcher has the right to observe. That's always been a Historical uh, part of the democratic process is that any citizen has the ability to go inside a polling location and has the right to observe. But also, there is the right of, of, of a voter as well, of a right of a voter to be free of intimidation. So, our poll workers are trained on uh, de escalating situations where an observer may be overstepping their respective uh, scope and responsibilities and rights. And we anticipate and expect uh, from our observers. Uh, that they will heed uh, the guidance and, and the rights and responsibilities that they have and not overstep that, uh, but know that we won't tolerate it as well if they overstep it. That's Michael Vu, San Diego County's Register of Voters. Meanwhile, a ballot measure to raise commercial property taxes and generate billions of dollars for schools and local services is falling short of 50 percent. That according to a new Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies poll. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer reports.
0: Proposition 15, to reassess commercial property and tax it based on current market value, is favored by 49% of voters, exactly where it was in the last IGS poll. But opposition to the measure has grown, from 34 to 42 percent, with 9 percent saying they're undecided. Also falling short in the poll, Prop 22, which would allow companies like Uber and Lyft to treat workers as independent contractors, rather than employees with benefits as required now by state law. Tech companies have spent more than $200 million to pass it. 46 percent of likely voters support it, but 42 percent are opposed, with 12 percent undecided. Prop 16 to end the ban on affirmative action and Prop 21 to expand rent control are both trailing badly, with support for each under 40%. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
2: Let's turn to higher education and some good news and bad news. The good news is that students are graduating from the California State University system at the highest rate ever. The bad news? Just 31 percent of first-time students get a diploma in four years. KQED's Vanessa Rancaño reports.
1: That's low, but it's significantly better than a couple years ago, when just over a quarter of freshmen graduated in four years. CSU Assistant Vice Chancellor James Minor says progress may be incremental, but...
0: Each percentage point represents more than a thousand students. And so every time we we experience these upticks in percentage points, I just want people to be reminded of the faces and the families who are associated with those numbers.
1: The latest data also show graduation rates for transfer students keep climbing. But progress toward another key goal, eliminating gaps between underrepresented students of color and their peers, is minimal. To understand why, Audrey Dow of the advocacy organization Campaign for College Opportunity wants more transparent numbers.
5: What's really missing is that more granular data by specific race, ethnicity categories. And that's something I think we all need to be urging the CSU to release because that's how we get to the important investments and policies that can specifically target those populations.
1: The state has invested about $220 million in trying to improve CSU graduation rates, funding things like more classes that students need to graduate on time. For The California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño.
2: And that is the California Report for this Monday, October 26th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and talk tomorrow.
0: Support for the California Report comes from Two Chairs, offering virtual therapy sessions designed to help clients thrive. Two Chairs therapists have personalized care to over 4,000 clients in California. Learn more at twochairs.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools. PersonalCapital.com.
3: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book.